Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This legendary and true story is fuel for my own personal nightmares. Since a young age, I've been afraid of werewolves. I mean, who wouldn't be? I still remember when my parents' laundry room was in a separate building from our house. My mom would send me out to get the laundry, many times after dark. I just knew that dark, empty space between the two buildings hid something evil. I pictured it with sharp claws, steaming breath, and glowing hungry eyes. That's when I learned how to run short distances very quickly. This story takes us back to a place and time with real people, who actually experienced a true threat of a large, terrifying, hairy creature lurking in the dark waiting to make them its next meal. And in most of the stories, it struck in broad daylight. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we're discussing the Beast of Gévaudan, possibly the first real werewolf. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com, such as Destination Terror. You can listen to a new episode every week, as I take you to horrifying destinations both real and mythical. Be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave us an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. You can now find Freaky Folklore videos on YouTube as well. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Jeanne Boulet never knew exactly what it was that woke her before dawn each day. It wasn't the sun's rays because she rose before the sun ever began to peek over the horizon. Maybe it was a well-trained sense of duty. Either way, she was up getting ready for her day well before the rooster began to crow. She had lived in this small hamlet, nestled in the heart of the Javadon region, since her birth 14 years ago. She had never traveled outside of the region and never wanted to. She loved her home and her simple yet grueling life. Jeanne had been the only child of her mother and father and had not only learned to cook and toil in the house, but had shadowed her father while he tended the farm and herded the sheep. She led a simple life and was content for the most part. But just as things often change, so did Jeanne's life. She now took care of most of the farm work alone. One ordinary cool morning in the early summer, Jeanne woke early as usual. Her beloved sheepdog, Bijou, was already awake, sitting by the table waiting for Jeanne. She scratched the top of his head, a traditional good morning from loving master to loyal beast. 
Jeanne's father, Louis, was already awake and had a bowl of porridge waiting for his daughter. He had taught Jeanne everything she needed to know about sheep herding. She had followed him out to the pastures when she was very small, until the day he was injured rescuing a fallen lamb from a cliff. And then she had to take over. The life of a farm family wasn't easy. Most of the money made from the farm went to pay taxes to the French lords, basically the crown. They fed themselves from what they grew and from the farm animals they raised. They owned very few possessions, but never having much meant there wasn't much to miss. Jeanne ate her porridge quietly as she pondered her duties for the day. After she emptied the bowl, she laid down her spoon and told her father, I'm moving the herd to the lower pasture today. I'll check in on the lambs and ensure the sheep have enough grazing. The weather seems favorable, and it's time to give the upper pasture a rest. Louis nodded, his eyes reflecting a mixture of pride and gratitude. You've become a skilled shepherdess, my dear. I trust you to handle the flock with the same care you've shown since you were a little girl. With a determined smile, Jeanne rose from the table, signaling to Bijou that it was time to start the day's work. The loyal sheepdog followed her as she stepped outside, the cool morning air greeting them. The hamlet was still quiet, its inhabitants yet to emerge from their slumber. As Jeanne made her way to the sheep pens, the first light of dawn painted the landscape in hues of pink and gold. The sheep, sensing the stirrings of activity, began to bleat softly, their calls punctuating the tranquility of the morning. The journey to the lower pasture was a familiar one, and Jeanne navigated the path with a sense of purpose. The rolling hills of Gévaudan unfolded before her, and the distant lowing of cattle added to the pastoral symphony. With Bijou at her side, Jeanne skillfully guided the flock, their woolly forms moving in unison. The sun, now casting its warm glow across the land, marked the beginning of another day of toil and care. As the sheep grazed contentedly in the lower pasture, Jeanne took a moment to appreciate the beauty of the surroundings. The distant mountains, clad in mist, stood as silent monuments, and the whispers of the wind carried tales of generations who had worked this land. While Jeanne worked on the sheep, the air became eerily still. Unbeknownst to her, something dark was lurking on the outskirts of the pasture. The peacefulness of the landscape hid the presence of something dark, menacing, and hungry. Bijou, sensing an unfamiliar tension in the air, raised his head, his ears perked in alertness. A low growl emanated from the loyal sheepdog as his gaze fixed on a distant thicket. Jeanne, absorbed in her duties, felt a shiver run down her spine, a subtle warning that stirred her senses. The sheep, too, grew uneasy, their bleats taking on a nervous undertone. The idyllic scene was about to be disrupted by an unseen force. From the edge of the pasture emerged a creature, its movements calculated and deliberate. It was a predator in the shadows that blended with the surrounding foliage. Its eyes were fixed on the unsuspecting shepherdess. Bijou's growl intensified, instinctively ready to protect his master. Jeanne, now acutely aware of the growing unease of her flock and her dog, looked around with furrowed brows. The creature, with its form partially obscured by the play of shadows, inched closer 
driven by its insatiable hunger. Jean saw its eyes first, glowing yellow orbs fixated on her. As the distance between them closed, Jean realized that this was no ordinary predator. It was similar to a wolf, yet it was the size of a young bull. It had eyes that were intense and fiery. Its legs were thickly muscled, and its feet were tipped with long, sharp claws. On its reddish-brown furry back was a dark stripe that ran down to the tip of its long, bushy tail. Bijou, sensing the imminent threat, barked a warning, his stance protective. The shepherdess, now confronted by the beast, stood her ground. The flock, agitated and aware, huddled closer. With a guttural growl, the creature lunged forward, hungry eyes fixed on Jeanne. In that moment, the peace of the pasture shattered, giving way to a scene of terror and carnage as Bijou attempted to protect his master. But Bijou fell quickly, and then nothing stood between Jeanne and the beast that hungered for human flesh. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters, murder, mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In the very center of 18th century France, a shadow loomed over the picturesque region of Gévaudan. It wasn't the dappled sunlight filtering through the dense foliage or the gentle rustling of leaves in the wind. No, this shadow was sinister, a harbinger of fear that gripped the inhabitants of this peaceful land. It was during this time that a mysterious beast terrorized the population of the rural region of Gévaudan. In 1764, the beast claimed its first victim, a 14-year-old girl named Jeanne Boulet, while watching her sheep. Her death was followed by others, 
predominantly women and children, but occasionally cattle and men. Throughout the year of 1764, France was captivated by a string of brutal attacks in which the victims were found with their throats ripped out and their heads gnawed off. The news of the brutality of these attacks, which spread from rural areas to the royal palace in Versailles, shocked the nation. The mysterious entity known as the Beast of Gévaudan prompted widespread curiosity about its identity and raised questions about who could bring an end to its reign of terror. Gévaudan, situated in southern France, held an aura of mystery comparable to the creature that haunted it. According to J.M. Smith, a historian and the author of Monsters of the Gévaudan, The Making of a Beast, the region was renowned for its remote and untamed nature, where the enchantment of the forest persisted. Describing it as fascinating, powerful, scary, and sublime, Smith highlighted the region's atmospheric qualities. This setting provided an ideal backdrop for a fairy tale reminiscent of the Grimm Brothers, featuring a potentially supernatural creature. However, for the villagers facing the attacks, the harsh reality surpassed any fictional story. Over a span of three years, the beast claimed nearly 300 victims, some accounts say, leaving a lasting impact that extended far beyond the 18th century. In 1764, France was in a dismal state, still reeling from the recent conclusion of the Seven Years' War, marked by significant losses to the British and the Prussians. Louis XV, the reigning king, had witnessed the depletion of France's overseas empire, including the loss of Canada. The economic outlook was bleak, contributing to a nation in disarray. Despite the havoc caused by the beast, it emerged as an ideal adversary for a country seeking a cause to rally around and prove itself. The beast's activities and its victims might have escaped widespread attention, if not for the growing influence of the press. With political news heavily censored by the king, newspapers sought alternative sources of information to boost subscriptions. In response to the escalating threat in 1764, local authorities and members of the aristocracy took decisive measures. Etienne Lafont, acting as a delegate for the regional government, collaborated with Captain Jean-Baptiste Duhamel, a leader in the local infantry, to coordinate the initial collective effort against the menace. The volunteer count at one point reached 30,000 men Duhamel structured the group based on military principles, deploying tactics such as using poisoned bait and having some soldiers disguise themselves as peasant women to lure the beast. The reward for killing the creature eventually reached a level equivalent to a year's salary for the common working man. For individuals like Duhamel, embarking on the hunt represented a means of restoring their honor in the aftermath of the war. According to historian Jay Smith, Many leading hunters, including Duhamel, displayed signs of wounded masculinity, with the challenge of defeating the beast seen as an opportunity for personal redemption. Duhamel, in particular, viewed the endeavor as a way to reclaim his honor after facing adversity during the war. The press played a role in crafting stories around the resilience of women and children who survived attacks by successfully defending themselves, highlighting the virtue of the peasantry. Notable instances was one man and a group of children who on January 12, 1765, repelled the beast with pikes, 
earning admiration and a reward from Louis XV. Marie-Jeanne Vallée, attacked on August 11, 1765, defended herself, earning the title of Maiden of Gévaudan, commemorated by a statue in her honor. In southern France, despite individual successes in self-defense, official hunters faced repeated failures. A father-son hunter duo declared their intent to eliminate the beast but ultimately gave up. Descriptions of the creature varied, with some likening it to a wolf and others suggesting more fantastical attributes, including supernatural abilities. Efforts to capture the elusive creature continued, with Francois Antoine, the king's own gun-bearer and bodyguard, joining the pursuit. In September 1765, Antoine shot and killed a large wolf, receiving recognition and gratitude from the villagers. However, attacks resumed two months later, lasting for another 18 months. With external assistance failing, locals familiar with the landscape took matters into their own hands. Jean Chastel, previously imprisoned by Antoine, managed to bring down the creature with a bullet on June 19, 1767, marking the end of the attacks. The question of the beast's identity remained unanswered, with various theories proposed by historians and scientists. While some suggested exotic origins or even human manipulation, Smith said that the most plausible explanation is a serious wolf infestation in Gévaudan, implying that there may not have been a single beast, but many large wolves attacking isolated communities. The mystery of the beast of Gévaudan has over time sparked speculation that transcends the bounds of natural explanations. Some eerie whispers in the chapters of history suggest a chilling possibility that the creature haunting the remote French region might have been an early manifestation of a real werewolf. As the legend goes, witnesses describe the beast with an unsettling mix of animalistic features and supernatural abilities. Reports spoke of a creature larger than a wolf, with a snout resembling a calf's and long hyena-like hair. Stranger still were accounts claiming the beast could walk on its hind feet, repel bullets with its hide, and possess an eerie ability to return from the dead. These eerie characteristics fueled the notion that the beast of Gévaudan might transcend the boundaries of the natural world. In the shadows of folklore and whispered tales, the possibility lingers that this creature was no ordinary wolf or known species, but a creature caught in the liminal space between the natural and supernatural, a harbinger of the werewolf legends that would later permeate popular culture. The haunting question remains, though. Could the beast of Gévaudan have been an early embodiment of the mythical werewolf, a creature cursed to roam the night with a dual nature, part human, part beast? While the rational mind may seek scientific explanations, the chilling legend persists, leaving room for the imagination to entertain the eerie notion that, in the depths of Gévaudan's darkened woods, a real-life werewolf may have once roamed, dwelling in the shadows of mystery and terror. You may have hoped for a happy ending for Jean Boulay's story. Maybe you hoped that she survived during a desperate escape, or sought shelter, but sadly that wasn't the case. 
The village was shaken by the grisly discovery of Jeanne's mutilated body. The young shepherdess had been discovered with her unharmed herd of sheep. Her head had been chewed completely off. Her faithful dog's body had been lying nearby with its throat ripped out. That was the beginning of the Beast of Gévaudan's reign of terror. Next, at the end of August, another girl was killed, but she lived long enough to describe the creature as a horrible beast. An uncountable number of victims would follow. Gévaudan, once a peaceful and tranquil province, became a place where every shadow was seen as a monster waiting to strike. People jumped at the sound of slamming doors, winced at the sight of ominous shapes cast by trees, and avoided venturing out alone, fearing the lurking presence of the monster waiting to strike. The once vibrant fields were now a place of fear and uncertainty, where the whispers of the wind carried tales of tragedy and the haunting legacy of the beast. A storm was rumbling outside on the warm summer morning as Jean Chastel rose from his bed. Jean had been the innkeeper in one of the liveliest towns in the province of Gévaudan for most of his 59 years. He rose each day before sunrise, tended the hearth and prepared for the day ahead. The aroma of freshly baked bread mingled with the scent of brewed coffee, creating a welcome embrace for those who crossed the threshold. A few of the locals, still cautious of the terror the beast had created in their community, found solace in the familiar routine of the inn. But, so most of the regular customers had become guarded and sought refuge in their homes. The inn had suffered from the loss of business, and Jean Chastel knew he was going to have to do something before he lost the source of his livelihood. The beast, who had taken so many lives over the last three years, now threatened his way of life. Jean had heard every story there was about the beast of Gévaudan. Men from the local infantry huddled in corners telling stories of their encounters with the beast during their failed hunts. Wary travelers and locals had shared tales of the victims of the beast and how it had killed and the carnage that it left in its wake. Jean's life had not been one of constant hardship, like many of the locals. He wasn't accustomed to the worry that most confronted every day, even though he had struggled in the beginning when he was young. Jean had chosen to forge a place in this world alone. He chose to never marry or have children, instead creating a bond with the inn and the people who crossed its threshold. However, the relentless terror unleashed by the beast had disrupted the rhythms of his once peaceful life. As Jean Chastel stroked his graying beard, while contemplating the storm brewing outside, an unsettling determination settled in his gaze. The inn, once a hub of lively gatherings, was now a quiet witness to the whispered conversations and guarded glances of those who dared to enter. The air hung heavy with the villagers' fear that had run through Gévaudan. Even the king's own men had failed to destroy the beast, contrary to their claims. The king had sent his own bodyguard to hunt and kill it, and even though his men had killed something and taken it back to the king, claiming it to be the beast of Gévaudan, the killings continued. The people of Gévaudan knew that the beast was still out there, and few dared to leave their homes unless it was absolutely necessary. 
Jean, like most of the men in Gévaudan, was a skilled hunter. He hunted frequently when he was young with his father, and as the innkeeper, he would hunt when there was no meat to be sold at the market for the stews he made at the inn. The original reward for killing the beast was 2,700 livres and was equal to a year's salary, but that had been paid by the crown to the king's bodyguard for killing the false beast. When the killings continued and were ignored by the king, another much smaller reward was offered by the authority of the diocese. Jean thought long and hard before deciding to attempt a hunt for the beast. It would be a dangerous endeavor and one that he would not attempt alone. Finally, he made up his mind and with firm resolve, he began to seek companions to join him in the hunt. One evening, a group of familiar faces showed up at the inn for a cup of ale and a bowl of soup. Jean Therese, the neighboring blacksmith, and two young men who were known for their marksmanship, Jacques and Louis, and they expressed their willingness to join Jean Chastel on the perilous hunt for the beast of Gévaudan. As they gathered around the sturdy wooden table, they discussed the locations where the majority of the victims had been slain and made the decision when and where they would start their hunt. The candlelight flickered in the dimly lit inn, causing shadows to dance on the faces of the gathered men, intensifying the gravity of their situation. Jean Chastel unfolded a map on the table, its edges curling slightly from years of use. Louis and Jacques listened intently, while Jean Therese leaned back in his chair, his arms crossed, listening as the plan began to take shape. They scrutinized the map, identifying the clusters of attacks that had terrorized Gévaudan. Jean Chastel's voice, steady and measured, broke the silence. We start here. He pointed to a spot on the map, a place where the beast had left its gruesome mark not long ago. It's where the fear is the thickest, and we follow its trail from there. The group nodded in agreement, the weight of their decision settling upon them. Tomorrow night, under the cover of darkness, Jacques suggested, his gaze flickering between the faces of his companions. We'll move silently, tracking the beast's movements and anticipating its next move. Jean Chastel, his eyes reflecting the burden of responsibility, nodded in approval. The plan was set, a weak strategy created from the threads of desperation and courage. As they continued their discussion, the storm outside intensified, rain battering against the inn's windows. The distant rumble of thunder echoed the uncertainty that loomed over their impending hunt. In that dimly lit inn, surrounded by the aroma of hearty soup and the lingering warmth of ale, a pact was forged. Each man driven by their own motives, be it a desire for justice, a reclaiming of their once peaceful lives, or the need to vanquish the shadow that had cast its darkness over Gévaudan, prepared for the difficult journey that awaited them. The meeting concluded with a toast, the clinking of ale-filled mugs echoing as a pledge to stand united against the terror that had held their village captive for far too long. Before retiring for the night, Jean Chastel carefully placed a clutch of handcrafted silver bullets into his hunting pouch, 
These would be the pivotal tools in vanquishing the creature. For he was certain, as were many, that the beast was not an ordinary wolf. The following evening, as heavy clouds darkened the sky, remnants of the storm that had finally subsided, Jean Chastel stood outside the inn, his breath forming wisps in the chilled air. A quiet sense of anticipation seemed to fill the air where the hunters were set to meet. Jean Therese, the blacksmith, arrived first, his rugged features hiding his emotions. He nodded in greeting to Jean Chastel, a silent acknowledgement of their shared purpose. Jacques and Louis soon followed as they emerged from the shadows, carrying their rifles. With exchanged nods, the men shared few words, forming an unspoken bond that was stronger than any oath. As they set off on the path, their footsteps were muffled by the damp earth. The village was quietly sleeping, unaware of the dangerous adventure the quartet were beginning. Jean Chastel cringed slightly when he heard the lone howl of a wolf in the distance, but his steps never faltered. With his knowledge of the land and the beast's hunting pattern, he guided the men deeper into the dense woods. As they moved in silence, the woods around them filled the night with eerie sounds. The rustling of leaves sounded like whispers. The swaying of branches played tricks on their eyes. One of the younger men inhaled sharply when a flash of lightning pierced the night sky, warning of another storm approaching. Thunder rumbled in the distance, causing tension to envelop the hunters. In the dark recesses of the woods, the beast stirred as it caught the scent of the hunters. Its stomach rumbled at the smell of flesh, its insatiable hunger coming to life, driving the beast to madness. It followed the scent through the forest, stealthily stalking its prey. The hunters were quiet and careful, each armed with rifles loaded with bullets. The beast was familiar with this kind of men. It was aware of their intentions, but it had no fear. The hunters were powerless against its great strength and speed. They were no match for its sharp claws and jagged fangs. As the hunters moved deeper into the woods, the beast closed in on them. Its eyes glinted in the darkness, reflecting the light of the hunters' torches. It circled them, drawing closer and closer, waiting for the right moment to strike. The hunters had become the hunted. Jean Chastel sensed the danger and signaled for the others to halt. They stood still, their hearts beating with fear as they searched for any sign of the beast. Suddenly, a twig snapped, and they all turned toward the sound. There, in the flickering light of the torches, stood the beast. Its eyes locked on Jean Therese, and its lips peeled back in a snarl, revealing its sharp teeth. The stories had been true. The beast was huge, easily the size of a cow. Jean Chastel was not even sure that this was a wolf standing before them. It was a monster with glowing eyes and reddish-brown fur, with muscles that rippled beneath. And like the stories, 
there was a dark stripe that ran the full length of its back. The hunters raised their rifles, but the beast was too quick. It lunged at Jean Therese, knocking him to the ground. He screamed in pain as the beast's teeth sank into his flesh, tearing through his shirt and drawing blood. Jacques and Louis fired their rifles, their shots echoing through the forest, but they missed their mark. The beast turned its attention to them, its eyes blazing with fury, and it charged towards the young hunters. But when a silver bullet from Jean Chastel's rifle grazed its back, the beast turned and grabbed the injured blacksmith and with unimaginable ease drug him into the forest. The remaining hunters looked at each other in shock as they heard Jean Therese's screams fading into the distance. They knew they had to act fast if they were to rescue their friend and end this nightmare once and for all. Jean Chastel took the lead, his eyes scanning the forest for any sign of the beast. Jacques and Louis followed close behind, their rifles at the ready. They moved quickly, their steps muffled by the damp earth, but their hearts racing with fear. As they searched, they heard the beast's low growl, joined by the blacksmith's screams. Jean Chastel signaled for the others to slow down, and they moved cautiously, their hands shaking with fear. They neared the beast's lair, a cave hidden in the forest, and the hunters approached it with caution. They could hear Jean Therese's ragged breathing from within the cave, and they knew they had to act quickly. With a nod from Jean Chastel, Jacques and Louis stepped forward, their rifles raised. They entered the cave, their eyes adjusting to the darkness. They could barely make out the beast's form hunched over Jean Therese, its jaws still dripping with blood. Jean Chastel followed close behind, his gun at the ready. He pulled out one of the silver bullets, carefully loading his rifle. As he aimed, the beast turned its head, its eyes locking onto him. Jean Chastel pulled the trigger, and the bullet whizzed through the air, striking the beast in the chest. The beast roared in pain, but it did not fall. It charged towards Jean Chastel, its jaws open wide. Jacques and Louis fired their rifles, slowing the beast down but not stopping it. Jean Chastel, his heart pounding with fear and adrenaline, quickly reloaded his gun, took aim at the beast again. He squeezed the trigger, and the silver bullet flew through the air and struck the beast in the chest again. The creature howled in agony as it staggered back, blood gushing from the wound. While the beast struggled, Jean Chastel managed to load his rifle one last time. With a final burst of strength, the beast charged towards Jean Chastel. He fired again, his shot hitting the beast in the head. The creature stumbled and fell, its lifeless body collapsing onto the cave floor. The hunters stood still, their ragged breathing the only sound in the eerie silence of the cave. Their clothes were torn and bloodied, their faces pale with shock and relief. Jean Chastel approached the beast's body, his hands shaking. He looked down at the monster, feeling a mixture of triumph and horror. 
The beast was real, and they had done what so many others for years had failed to do. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Destination Terror, hosted by me, Carmen Carrion. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.